from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I went to look at your website last night just to see what all you had been working on. I realized you have co-sponsored 98 bills now in not much over than 100 days. That seems like a lot. Is it hard to even keep track of, of everything that's going on right there? It is hard to keep track. I, honestly, it is. Um, but you know what, Sarah, we promised that when we when we came in day one, that we would be ready on day one. That was the promise that we made. Um, why not build so that all of our community members um, have a, a decent quality of life? Not, why not make that? Because it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't take away from you because someone else gets to eat. It doesn't take away from you because someone else has air conditioning and someone else has clean water. It doesn't make, make your water dirty because there's a clean. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last week, Congresswoman Cori Bush hit a milestone. She marked her 100th day in Congress. And this week, she's introducing her most ambitious piece of legislation yet. It's called the Green New Deal for Cities, and it would authorize $1 trillion in spending over the next four years. The Green New Deal has backing from a host of environmental and activist groups. Co-sponsors include Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And Congresswoman Bush joined us for an exclusive local interview with the details. Congresswoman Cori Bush, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So the Green New Deal for Cities would give local governments a big infusion of money for very specific projects related to climate change. Why is that issue so important to you right now with everything else that communities are also facing? You know, it is. I ran on needing a Green New Deal um, in our communities. Uh, This is important because it affects all of us. And I'll say this as Um, A black woman growing up in St. Louis, I had no clue that what was happening with our climate, um, that that there was a such thing as environmental justice, that Mm -hmm. that was the real thing that was affecting my life and the lives of so many that that are around me. Um, This is important. It matters because we need real, long-lasting investments in curbing the climate crisis. And that's stuff that we can do. We need to get the resources to people who are most impacted by climate change, which those um, people specifically are our frontline communities. And to add, building an economy that builds towards the future with, like, good-paying jobs. We hear it all the time. We need good-paying jobs. Well, this is the way to do it. Hmm. So when you talk about frontline communities, um, what do you include within that? Sure. We talk, talking about frontline communities, um, communities that are most impacted by climate change, communities that are disproportionately um, impacted by climate change. So oftentimes, and I can speak for in St. Louis, that's going to be um, our black community in St. Louis. Um, so around the country, our black, our brown, our indigenous community, um, our com- um, communities that struggle um, as it relates to poverty. Those are the communities that we have to make sure um, receive this funding um, and, and our very first um, on the list. Because we're talking about, um, we're talking about uh, 
lead paint. Nobody wants to talk about lead paint. And it's, it's like I remember talking about lead paint as a child, um, hearing about it on the television and showing up at parks and people testing us for lead. It was like this thing when I was a kid, and it just went away. So the question is, did all did the lead, like, is that no longer a problem, or is it just that we need funding to be able to address it? And the answer is the latter. So um, it's that. It's um, mold remediation and um, when we look at, um, you, uh, and I know we've all heard the reports, um, but when we uh, look at the fact that um, black children in, Saint, in the St. Louis area are 10 times more likely to go to an emergency room for asthma than, than um, white children in, in um, St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, that's the reason why this money has to go first to frontline communities. Okay. So I know that there's very specific projects that you're hoping that this or th- that you're targeting this legislation yep. that it would go into. This isn't just the idea of, oh, you know, we're going to give this giveaway to this company that claims to be doing something in, in environmental spaces. <laughs> um, give us some examples of some of the things you'd like to see this money go to. Sure. Um, so clean drinking water infrastructure, like I said before, mold, mold remediation, um, air quality monitoring, flooding prevention. We know that's an issue. Um, making our utilities public, dialysis machines for heat waves. Hmm. You know, those are some things that, um, that actually would really help to save lives. This whole thing, Sarah, is about saving lives, um, even talking about um, wind power. Uh, and then there are labor provisions in this bill, you know, to make sure that the workers are well paid and well treated for work. We have to build a system around making sure we take care of workers. So with that, we're talking about prevailing wage requirements, equitable and local um, hiring provisions, um, prohibiting considering someone's criminal history unless otherwise, you know, unless we have, unless it's otherwise required, having apprenticeship and workforce development requirements and um, project labor agreements and Buy America provisions. So all of that is about building our local community and then also building the country. Hmm. I thought it was interesting. Your bill specifically prohibits some spending. And one of the things that's prohibited through this bill is spending on nuclear power. Do you think we can really get to zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 without more nuclear power? That is our that is our work. That is the work. Um and, and I'll say this, if we don't do something now, um, Sarah, if we don't push this and make sure that it's accept- this is accessible um, all across our country, because the, um, I look at this, um, the Green New Deal for Cities, let me just say, it's Green New Deal for Cities, but it's also for towns, it's for states, it's for, it's for um, localities. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the fact that this brings um, the funding and the resources to our communities directly to have that oversight of these funds to be able to put the money where it's needed the most. And it allows, you know, I'm an activist. This is allow, This is an activist helping to bring resources to active, you know, to people that have already been active in these spaces to be able to bring about the change that they've been wanting to bring. So it's not this you know, someone who doesn't know those communities being able to do this. So we have been doing the work. And when we talk about St. Louis, St. Louis activists, you know, working in environmental spaces have been doing the work. So this is just another step forward. We're going to continue to push, even though 2030, yes, it's, you know, it can be considered around the corner when we talk, when we Mm -hmm. in speaking um, about this. But we have to start 
and this is how to do it. Hmm. I thought it was very interesting. Um, You stipulate in this bill that government entities taking these funds have to agree to take steps like rent control or rent stabilization to prevent gentrification and stabilize property values. Um, Are you worried that in some cases this could cause communities to opt out, to say, hey, we're not going to take this money if it means that we have to do this thing that, that isn't popular with our wealthy constituents? Yeah, you know, the thing is, 50% of the money going to our um, these frontline communities, you know, it's the minimum. And we're asking for people, you know, I we understand that not everybody is going to want to have the buy-in, that not everybody's going to understand why taking care of people who are in our communities that are the most vulnerable um, is, um, you know, uh, should be the consideration. But when we overlook, when we neglect, our communities that are like that, we end up where we are right now. Um, why not build so that all of our community members um, have a, a decent quality of life? Not, why not make that? Because it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't take away from you because someone else gets to eat. It doesn't mm-hmm. take away from you because someone else has air conditioning and someone else has clean water. It doesn't make, make your water dirty because there's a clean. Um, and so we understand that we wanted to make sure that when these additions are happening in um, in these communities, once this once this funding um, comes down, that uh, because of those improvements, that no one is displaced. So working with housing, working with housing and tenant um, community uh, groups is a must because we can't make change when we're when that change also negatively affects the people that we're trying to help. Mm-hmm. So. Um, this won't hurt people that already that are doing okay that feel like they don't need it. This is a way to help bring equity into our communities hmm. and the urgency. You know, really, really, Sarah, the urgency of this climate crisis and environment uh, environmental racism it demands that we equip our our cities and our local governments with this funding. Um, and so that's what people should be paying attention to. We need to address this climate crisis. This is free money. Every community to use it to fight the crisis and save lives. So if they look at it that way, save lives. So let's talk about that money. Um, the federal government passed a $1.9 trillion spending bill um, recently, and that sent $500 million to St. Louis City alone, which I know our mayor-elect, Tashara Jones, this is going to be a big challenge for her administration, is to allocate all that in the best possible way. Um, there's a lot of local governments right now that are really flush. Are you worried that it's this is not the right timing for this in that they've already got a big, uh, a really big um, endowment that they're going to have to figure out how to properly spend. Yeah, no, not at all. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, we cannot wait to fight the climate crisis. We have to get, we, just like you said, 2030 is around the, it's in a, around the corner when we talk about let, get, being able to get legislation passed and, and being able to um, do the organizing that needs to be done to be able to make this change. So right now is the time, and I know that that money is coming to communities, um, and people are trying to figure out how best to, to make sure that they that they put the money where it needs to go and that that money is spent. Um, but um, this what that we're talking about because it directly when we're talking about a fifty percent investment going to those frontline communities, we're talking about being very specific about. Um, how those communi- um, how those communities are changing, and so when we talk about uh, let's just look at um, uh, uh, I-, I know not everybody probably thinks that uh, policing is a part of envir- uh, environmental justice, but it actually is. Uh, when we talk about 
uh, tear gas going into people's in people's community and bullets flying like that's an that's an environmental injustice. So um, uh, making sure that we have money in every area to be able to do the things that we need to do. Um, it, I mean, it's going to take a lot. Like even let's talk about clean, cleaning up Cold Water Creek. That would be over a hundred million dollars alone, mm-hmm. and we can't pull that money. There's nowhere in ARP in the American Rescue Plan where we can pull a hundred million dollars to clean up Cold Water Creek. But the people that live around Cold Water Creek don't care that we don't have the money in in the American Rescue Plan. They want that cleaned up because they deserve to live, you know, in an area that is not, you know, uh, is not. Uh, Dangering their lives, and I know right now, you know, um, supposedly things are getting better, but um, but it's not done. So, a hundred million dollars, uh, we need that money. What would you say to those who who would argue that the federal government doesn't have another one trillion dollars right now? That that the the borrowing the federal government has recently done because of the COVID nineteen crisis, um, that that has has reached some high levels there, and they're worried about that. <laughs> well, it's not true. Um, you know, first of all, um, when the when the when our government wants to come up with money, let's be real, they come. Our government comes up with money. Um, Roosevelt spent a way higher percentage of GDP during World War II. You know, we have to. Um, I don't believe that looking at how to save lives should be the first thing that we should think about is. Um, is how much money we're going to spend doing it. Because if we think about it, Sarah, if we would have made some uh, different decisions 20 years ago, 10 years ago, as it relates to infrastructure, as it relates to health and human services, would we be, as a, would we be in the position with COVID-19 right now that we're in when we talk about um, uh, were our schools and our education system prepared when COVID-19 hit? Were our homes prepared? Were our unhoused community, you know, were they prepared? Were our hospitals ready to, to handle that? If we had been doing some other things um, beforehand, we would not be in the place where we are now, and we, and we have this $1.9 trillion that needed to be brought in after already having the CARES Act um, and the HEROES Act. You know, um, we could have done some things differently. And so that's what we're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about our neighbors surviving. So I understand you you do have a number of co-sponsors in the House. What will it take to find passage in the Senate of this? That's obviously a much more conservative body than the House right now. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we've been making some inroads. Um, but I think because we have uh, environmental justice, uh, environmental groups, uh, working, standing alongside us, a grassroots groups, and some of these groups are those that are supporters of of those senators. Um, we, uh, I believe that we keep having those conversations. We continue to target those states. You know, targeting those groups in those states that um, are the ones that are helping get those senators reelected. Mm-hmm. I believe that that's what it's going to take. It's not, you know, but that conversation, making sure that they understand how this is going to affect those local communities, because again, we're talking about smaller communities being able to receive those dollars, which is what was able to happen with the American Rescue Plan. So that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, when and then when we look at 84, um, well, you know, I won't even go into that. We'll, let's just say 
senators came to us this week mm-hmm. asking if they could get involved already, just mm-hmm. hearing about it. Um, and so people are already ready. Um, to see something like this happen. Hmm. So, Congresswoman Bush, I want to take a step back in our final couple minutes here. I went to look at your website last night just to see what all you had been working on. I realized you have co-sponsored 98 bills now in not (laughs) much over than 100 days. That seems like a lot. Is it hard to even keep track of of everything that's going on right there? It is hard to keep track. Honestly, it is. Um, But you know what? Sarah, we promised that when we when we came in day one, that we would be ready on day one. That was the promise that we made, and we built a team that would be ready to um, to move and to act. And that's what we've been doing. St. We St. Louis has been in a place for so long where we've been looking for change and not even really understanding what was holding up some of the change. Well, now we're like, look, give it all to us. You know, let's try to get as much done as we can. And Sarah, we have the House, we have the Senate, and we have the presidency. And so we're really trying to make sure that we utilize that while we can. Hmm. I imagine that when you were running for this office and even when you realized that you were likely to win because you'd won the primary, that you didn't know that you were going to have um, Democrats controlling all houses of government. Has that been just a a really exciting (laughs) surprise? You're not just in this Congress, but you've got a lot of your people around you. Yes. Yes, and um, the thing is, we've been we've been able to work together very well. And I'll say this: the working um, um, on the American Rescue Plan has also helped to um, uh, you know tear down some of those walls and silos that may have been there, you know, prior to me entering Congress. And so I'm so glad to be able to work with the folks that I'm working with. Um, um, not only them, their teams have been amazing, and I'm just, and I'm saying all the way through Congress. Like, this has been amazing to be able to work with people. We may not always agree, you know, but I came to Congress not necessarily to agree with folks and to make friends. I came to Congress to deliver for St. Louis because of how much I love St. Louis and the people, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. We're building broad coalitions across um, the Democratic caucus and, you know, and then working, you know, on this filibuster. Well, Congresswoman Cori Bush, you have a lot on your plate, and this is a big piece of legislation. So I thank you so much for making the time to join us. Thank you, Sarah. Have a great one. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.